0: What's up, everybody? I am back with another episode of the Boxless Nutshell. And yes, we are pretending like this isn't the same day as the last one, when I gave too many highlights and didn't get into the topic I wanted to talk about. So let's get into it. My pastor has been going through a Body of Christ series, which is fantastic, because he started it the same week that I gave a talk at my kid's chapel when they were going to the Christian school last semester, and I actually wasn't aware of it until after I prepared, but then before I gave it, so I was able to use a couple things from his talk in mine, and then he's continued in that series, and it's been really awesome because I've been very mindful of that lately, and in this last talk, he talked about being perfect versus being healthy, and I thought that was so interesting. I might cross a line here, so forgive me if I do, but being married to a woman, I am aware that women can sometimes confuse health with how it affects their body, what they look like, not necessarily if it's good for them. My wife and I had a couple arguments about that earlier on in our marriage, and I'm like, what do you mean? That's not good for you. And she'd be referring to that it would be fattening or something. Now, granted, my brother, the nurse, he tells me, listen to your body. It'll tell you what it needs. And I agree with that. I love that. You can tell when you're thirsty, obviously, or parched and you need water, not orange juice. You can tell when you're weak and you need either protein or carbs. Okay, so that all makes sense. But there can be this deception, I think, from the enemy to look pretty and therefore you are healthy. Like you you are, you know, when we see each other, what do we say? Oh, wow, you look so good. We'll even compliment people if they've lost weight. Don't ever compliment a woman if she's lost weight. They can do it with each other, but that's it. With a guy, you might say, oh, man, you look huge or something. You might compliment his muscles. I do that. Guys will compliment other guys that are also overweight and they lose weight. And that's good because that is a healthy move. But if they had like a dad bod and then they lost the belly some, they probably wouldn't say something about that. But in theory, I think that is the thing that we think about when we say, oh, you look great, right? That's the subtle subtle thing that we're implying. But we don't really know if they are great. They could be addicted to something and using steroids if it's a guy. Now, eventually, the body will show it. So that's part of what I do want to get into. The body will show you eventually just like Satan's counterfeit will fail, will bring death. And you don't see it coming a lot of the time. But it doesn't last. That's the point. Check this out. James one twelve to 15. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So, ladies, forgive me for crossing another line, but this is an area where pregnancy is viewed as a bad thing. Obviously, In no way does it mean that, that there's any place in Scripture that views pregnancy as a bad thing, okay? The point, though, is the process of pregnancy looks similar. I've been telling you about how the carnal can emulate the spiritual, the supernatural. And in this case, we're talking about the entire process of sin. I do find it interesting that pregnancy signifies life And God chose to use that in a moment where he is describing death. Almost like he was willing to explain that there is a counterfeit to life and that a real pregnancy that brings a real baby and real life into this world is the heavenly counterfeit to the process of allowing sin to take hold of your life. Obviously, it's not a direct correlation because I, I'm not going to say that God promises children to those that avoid sin. Um, what is a better representation of beauty and life than a newborn child? So he uses that metaphor to explain how you can do that in the counterfeit way for Satan. And it's this process of hiding a little bit, right? Women. Cross another line here. Forgive me. Well, this one's a compliment, I suppose. We don't notice for a while. And you have ways of uh, of making that last as long as possible. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> and we do too, right? With our sin. Don't we? We have ways. Men, clearing your browser history, texting your wife. When are you going to be home? Just so you know, you have 10, 15 minutes to surf the web. What does porn do? When it takes hold, think of that verse. It grows slowly. The lies, the secrets, the longer that you're keeping that from your wife or at least an an accountability partner and not taking an active stance on trying to put it out, it grows, doesn't it? It festers. And then what happens? It brings forth death. What is that? With porn, it could be an affair. It starts with uh, doing an online chat with a real person. I thankfully have never crossed that line. Not that looking at porn is something that I should be holding up as a badge of honor. We do, though, don't we? Oh, all men look at porn. Thankfully, I almost never do it now. But I'm still ashamed that about six months ago, I did. Right? It's not loving to my spouse. I shouldn't need that. And so we have these acceptable sins or just sins that are easy to hide and we let them fester, and we keep those secrets, and we don't confess, we don't bring it into the light, because when we do that, the darkness can't comprehend it, and that means confession to God, to others, right? Expose it. The light. That's what that means. The longer you do that or don't do that, the closer you get to that birth, and it could be an affair. It could be prostitutes. We went to a church around here, decent church. I'm not even going to tell you the denomination because you'd be able to figure it out and the pastor was caught seeing prostitutes and apparently he had been doing it for years in secret and his wife left him and he was released as pastor from the church and it disqualified him as Paul talks about you can't get disqualified from heaven but you can get disqualified in a lot of sense like a lot of other senses right here's another one for guys if you have ever taken steroids or know anyone who has taken steroids or are just aware because you're a red-blooded American of Arnold Schwarzenegger and at one point believed that he was pure as the driven snow and there's no way that he could have used steroids. But then <clears throat> his Pumping Iron came out. I, th- I think that it was that movie. There's been a lot. He – I think even it admits it in his new documentary that he did on Netflix, which I loved, by the way, that he used steroids. And he talks about it, how his his doctors would say to to only use it for these many months. It was like three months or seven months. I can't remember. It was which is a big difference. But apparently, like it was just a, a certain amount of time. And then you'd have to stop because it would be really bad for your body to. Now, I'm sure it wasn't good to do it even for that amount of time. But there are other bodybuilders that are so nuts about it and very not safe, that they die. And before they die, you can see it. And that's part of part of pregnancy, isn't it? You can hide it for a little while, but at some point, people notice. Now it's on the community of that loved one to say something before it explodes. That's what community is. Hopefully they confess before that when they know that everybody else knows. But denial is a powerful thing. And so these bodybuilders that, that died, from overuse of steroids that were on, like, Instagram and stuff, you can see it in their face. Their Their skin is terrible. It's oily. It's uh, pimply. They just they just don't look right. You know, you could tell. Then you look at people like Arnold, who did it for a time and then stopped. Now, he did have some health issues, and I don't – I think he may have even had a some kind of heart surgery. And so that could be related. But if you look at him compared to others who have just stayed on the juice, he – is aging like fine wine. And he's allowing himself to. Stallone over there is still pumping something into his body because they're the same age and he's way more ripped. So that shouldn't be. And hopefully he backs off that soon because these expendable movies might be the death of him. So you see my point. The body tells us. Listen to your body, right? You can tell when something is off inside eventually, but maybe not right away. So be aware that it is a process, and at a certain point, it's hard to backtrack whatever sin you're allowing to grow inside of you. After people see it and say something, and you still don't put it out, death, right? The Bible gives us a picture in the carnal of the supernatural. Pay attention. It's there. It's everywhere. Puberty. Adulthood. Check out these counterfeits to what God offers. Porn. Perfect union in marital sex. Sleeping around. Perfect union in marital sex. Drugs, alcohol, cigarettes. The sweet presence of the Holy Spirit or just natural chills of being sober-minded when you hear God speak in Scripture, in your soul, through nature, through a friend. Being present. Cultivating relationships versus escaping in passive floating from thing to thing. Guilty. You know, when we were in the navigators, we saw this study that came out that was comparing cold evangelism to one-on-one discipleship. The math presupposed that the discipler would be able to pass on, and um, so if you look at Second Timothy two two, talks about passing on to men who will then be able to teach other men who will be faithful. So this presupposes that the discipler passes on successfully to the disciple who then passes on again and then they continue. So each only one. And that that diagram actually over time ends up reaching a far greater number with the gospel than cold evangelism. The math was versus uh, sharing the gospel with one person a day. Now compare that to sex. If you sleep around and get strange, and you feel like that's your right to discovery for yourself, for what you want in marriage, and whatever you bought into that whole lie. And you think that sex is a discovery, and that it's fluid, and so it's all part of the human experience. That's just a different view. It's not a Christian view. So if you are thinking that way, it's not biblical. But let me assure you, if you're looking for great sex, and a lot of sex, the same math applies. If you are having strange sex, like once a week or once a month, or, you know, it's going to be spaced out. You may have something steady for a little while, and then you have a gap of time. Well, if you're in a happy marriage, you might go a month without sleeping together because you come back together. The Bible says to do it, not just because the guy is horny, but because a perfect union is should invoke that desire for both it's quite beautiful actually even though the man might be more physically horny the woman wants the man physically because she wants the man because he is loving her well and that makes her horny it's hard to explain i've had these conversations with my wife where i'm just like you know when you when you see my pecs dance a little when i when i walk by and you're like Oh, those abs are are showing this week. (laughs) You know, does that do a little something for you? And she's like, no. (laughs) So girls are just different. Okay. But it is a beautiful thing and a physical thing when it's done right. Then you have sex often and you have great sex often. Compare that to just the cold evangelism type of sex. (laughs) You'll have more. You just have to be patient, which God tells us to do, right? To wait on him. And again, a carnal picture emulating the supernatural. If you wait on the right spouse, someone that will help you keep Christ at the center, help you show the gospel to your community in your lifetime together better than you could when you were single, maybe not in some ways, but overall, that sex with that person can't compare. Can't come pair. I'm just talking about numbers of times. We still win with that patience and waiting for the right thing. But quality? Give me a break. Strange moves have got nothing on genuine love in sex. Let me tell you, there are only a handful of moves that are really that great anyway, okay? It's just a stupid, it's just all stupid. Sex is not meant to be like that. Explore. Explore each other's bodies. Do it. Abso-friggin-lutely. But don't do things just because it's creative and you saw it in the Kama Sutra book. Talk to your wife. It is a picture of your union together. You should be able to communicate well. Husbands don't often listen well. Talk to your wife in bed. Ask her what she likes. Please her. It won't be hard for you, and you know it. But you will enjoy it a lot more when you know that she is enjoying it, that you're pleasuring her. I mean, that is like out of the world a better feeling than just me getting off. Counterfeits. When I take time to please my wife, it's better. It lasts longer. And I'm just going to say, I think that's another example of the carnal showing us a sign. When you have consistent sex, guys last longer. The answer is not, get strange more often, and make yourself susceptible to STDs. The answer is, find someone who you love, who will give you consistent, great sex. You'll last longer, together, you'll learn how to please her, you'll both enjoy it more. Why rush through something for creativity's sake, for horniness' sake, for release's sake? It's so incomplete. Those are all just pieces. Bodies that are united, like lives and spirits that are united, they fit together physically. I'm telling you. Listen, I've shared this with you guys. Before I was a Christian, I did drugs. I went to jail. I had a lot of sex with different girls. It's not a good idea that I talk about them too much or how many But just trust me when I say plenty to tell you the moves are overrated and some moves don't work with some bodies. Find out how your bodies fit together. I'm being literal. Talk to each other. Find out what positions feel good, mainly for her. It's not complicated, guys. It's not. And now, back to discipleship. You're not just sharing the gospel, right? So back to numbers. Better numbers, but also better, more genuine, deeper. You disciple somebody for like a year, which was kind of a standard thing that we did. So much biblical knowledge, so much foundation, not built on sand. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen? Body versus spiritual. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4.8. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. What does that mean? Well, it's the entire thing that I'm talking about. Bodily discipline has some value, not as valuable as spiritual body discipline. But there is nothing wrong with taking care of your body inside and out, how you eat, how you exercise, all of those things are, they emulate the heavenly. They are not as important, but they emulate it. And when you do those things, they help you get in touch with those spiritual practices as well. You think that if you don't eat healthy at all, that you will have a healthy appetite for God's word? I don't mean organic. I mean balanced. Do you think if you always drink soda? That you'll ever want to drink the living water? You think there's no correlation, but think about it. If you treat your body like shit, why would you want to treat your spiritual body any better? You think you do because you talk to him in your head when you drive, and you have this certain set of moral, moral compass rules that keep you in a category of Bible-believing Christian. But what else is there? Do you know him? So just to close the metaphor for a moment, It is okay to be an F-A-N-A-T-I-C fanatic about spiritual things, about your spiritual body, about your spiritual food. I'm not trying to be legalistic about it. I am not of the belief that you have to give God equal time of, like, spiritual time as you give other physical things that you like, because that, I mean, it's illogical. We're not fully in the spiritual yet, so we're not going to spend... 12 hours a day in prayer. I know some monks have done that, and that's awesome. And we need prayer warriors like that. But I don't believe God's calling us to do that. But he is asking us to put him first, that he is sitting on the throne of our hearts, that he is the hub in the center of the spokes of the wheel of your life. And you do that by trying to spend time with him either in the morning or at night, whatever. Timing is, it's not about timing. It's about just spending time with him. So time does matter. If you never spend time with your best friend, now are they really your best friend? You have to at least call them, text them, read his word, journal a little, pray a little, sit in silence a little. Worship, worship's totally part of it. But if that's all you do, you know, you don't just sing with friends. You have to talk to each other. So when we are thinking about each other in terms of health and perfection, Like, wow, he's got a perfect body. That might be true on the outside. Remember, don't just say, you look great. Say, how are you? You look happy. Are you happy? Hey, thanks so much for listening today, guys. Man, that was so much fun to get into what true spiritual and physical health looks like and how it relates and how it can both be spiritual and we can follow God with our life and our healthy choices like that. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.